So welcome to the Walk for Women. Um, today we have a very interesting interview for you between Anandita Majumdar, the founder of Equidiversity Foundation and Pallavi Moda, a trustee of Action Village India and the driving force behind the Walk for Women. Pallavi has been organizing the Walk for Women since 2005 and since then, walkers have been coming together to spend a day walking in the stunning location of Virginia Water to raise funds for disadvantaged women in rural India. This year, the funds raised will go towards Action Village India's partner, Equidiversity Foundation. In this podcast, you will hear directly from Anandita about the work we are supporting this year. However, before we begin, we would like to share a bit more background about Action Village India. Action Village India, or as we sometimes say, AVI, is a small UK-based organization that is since 1989 supporting Indian partner organizations work alongside villagers in some of the most remote parts of rural India so that they can improve their life, livelihoods and resilience. We work towards an India which is just, fair and inclusive, where people, regardless gender, ethnicity, caste or belief, can benefit from the country's economic development and lift themselves out of poverty. At the heart of our work are our partnerships, and many of them have spanned decades. Our partners, whether large or small organizations, all work directly at the grassroots level across rural India. From Bihar and Jharkhand in the north, to Odisha and down to Tamil Nadu in the south. The communities they work with are some of the poorest in India. Our partners are experts in their fields and design their development projects to best serve their local communities. So that's a bit about Action Village India, but we're really here to, to hear more about Anandita's journey and uh, the amazing work she is doing. So I would like to hand over to Palavi Moda, our trustee, who will be talking uh, with Anandita today. And um, I'm sure we will hear a lot more from her. Palavi, over to you. Thank you, Esther. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank all the walkers for coming to walk this, uh, on this day and supporting us the walk as well as Action Village India and in turn Equidiversity too. As Esther mentioned, the first sponsored walk took place in 2005. It was held in the sweet memory of my beloved son Anand who passed away at the young age of 25 in 2004. It was a very emotional moment for us, the family and the friends. The money raised by all of us was donated to Action Village India for their good work in India. Late in the same year, I participated in a forum held by AVI and their Indian partners in Tamil Nadu. We visited a number of villages where the partners were running some long-term post-tsunami projects from desalination of land, setting up village mandis to dairy farmings, from providing after-school meals to young children, to women's self-help groups, taking care of basic health issues in remote villages where healthcare is either unaffordable for the most or totally absent. Throughout this journey, I was clearly, it was clearly noticeable that the women were very actively involved and with a positive attitude in these programs. At the same time, they were bearing 
if not equal, more burden on their shoulders than men. With sincerity and enthusiasm, be it their own family matters or the welfare of the village. It was this experience which inspired me to continue with sponsoring the book from the following year and dedicated the funds raised to the women empowerment projects. For a number of years, the work had been supporting girls' education program in Bihar and Jharkhand. This year, Work for Women is dedicated to equally important women empowerment project by another partner of ABI, Equidiversity. Let us find out more from Anindita, the founder director of Equidiversity about this organization. What motivated her in giving birth to an organization like Equidiversity and raising it to its current state? Truly a success against all odds. Anindita, tell us about the excitements as well as the challenges you experience every day after 20 years. Thank you so much, Pallavi. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be uh, given this forum to talk about the work that we are doing in very remote villages of West Bengal. And I'm uh, deeply moved by the personal journey, uh, Pallavi, that you shared. It's a, it's a very rare thing that we, you know, uh, on the other side, you know, who, who receive funds, we get to hear you know, the personal stories and the journeys that you go through. Thank you. So I was born um, in a very typical educated middle-class family in Bengal, where from childhood, the ideas that, you know, you have to study and you have to stand on your own feet, you know, were grilled inside our heads. But still growing up, uh, I essentially, you know, um, wanted to become the boy that my parents wanted to have. And it was only when I was uh, in my adolescent years that I started becoming comfortable in my own skin. I um, put on the gender lens and the world appeared to be very bleak, very gray. My next stint actually in directly, you know, working on gender issues began when I was doing my post-graduation. And I was working on my dissertation on uh, female criminality and I was working in correctional homes. There I essentially, you know, uh, was completely struck by the institutions, you know, the dehumanization process uh, that every individual in the system goes through and also, you know, the, how patriarchal the system becomes. And uh, I rebelled and decided to work um, in the development sector. So I've been uh, working in this sector for almost 20 years now. And having worked against gender-based violence for more than a decade, I understood that the, all the work that we do around the gender space would actually amount to nothing unless we address the core issue. And to me, the core issue was essentially understanding how decision-making takes place in society through governance. And I was also at that time, you know, engrossed in the newly emerging conversation around the country at that time, you know, around uh, reservation quotas in the national parliament. And slowly my interest in the idea of, uh, you know, uh, working to create a gender equitable society to gender equitable governance, you know, started taking shape. And here, um, I just remember that uh, 
uh, this kind of an idea was also shaped by certain uh, you know appalling incidents like for instance when i in way back in 2006 and 7 when i was working uh, in the uh, in an urban uh, you know slum area where already we had uh, there was reservation 33% of reservation in place for gender based quota was in place i found that uh, how you know a particular seat that was reserved for women uh, would be sort of uh, taken over uh, by you know the male member and who would not only you know uh, never allow her to sit in office but would also you know sign the documents using her name and interestingly i also found that uh, you know a particular seat that was reserved for women during the urban election this particular individual would actually he pushed his daughter and two daughters in law to contest election from different political parties you know to ensure that the seat, seat remains under his control and uh, you know working in this sector i also found that all the ngos when we work in our communities we have to engage with the local government and administration but we develop this skill of bypassing uh, you know the women who are uh, in that space and we are we would in order to get our job done we would just interact with the male and never question that so that bothered me and finally you know um, i designed a program in 2014 Mm-hmm. uh it was a pilot pro- program and it was supported by the us department of state to sort of pilot this program where we sort of empower women in uh, in the rural panchayat areas where we have to empower women who have uh, elected representatives and in order to strengthen you know their voice in decision making so that they can bring women's issues um, into policy so um, and then with the change in um, uh, Uh, you know political leadership in the us uh, this particular program after one year the entire funding got disbanded and so here um, i was you know uh, looking at the probability we had a very successful sort of pilot but uh, and the community was largely you know asking us to continue work but at the organization i was working uh, you know for at that time because there was no money involved was not willing to you know take the risk and take this work forward so that is how um in 2016 september uh, equidiversity foundation was formed that is a very very interesting journey that you just mentioned anindita heads up to you what you just have done um and after after all of this this was just a general um information do you think you can pick up a case where you can tell our um workers in more detail about the real experience you went through so uh, let me just uh, tell a little bit about exactly what we do so um, equidiversity foundation we sort of envision a society where mm-hmm. there is gender equality there is co-sharing of power and freedom from gender based violence and we we do that by promoting you know we promote gender equality through political social and financial empowerment and with active informed participation of individual the community and the state it may sound a bit complicated but to put it very simply um so we are folk in because we feel that um, in order uh, for for governance to be you know gender inclusive in order for society to be gender equal we have to work with people who are in power we have to also work with uh, uh, individuals who make these decision uh, you know who um influence these decisions that is the voters 
Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll just share a case study of um, this woman when she started uh, working. Like, uh, so this is uh, in one remote village of uh, Birbhum. So uh, let's say her name is uh, Amira. So Amira um, is a woman, uh, you know, who actually hails from uh, in a very marginalized, economically marginalized uh, family, and and she belongs to uh, the minority community. where uh, and she decides uh, to you know fight for uh, election panchayat election for the first time and um, so what is her background uh, amira was married off at the age of 16 she has three daughters uh, including one differently abled daughter and for that she was scorned off at the family so she went against she goes against uh, her her family's wishes and decides to nominate herself you know for uh, the panchayat member and uh, she wins she's ostracized by her family and with twinkle in her eyes uh, amira you know goes to the panchayat office because she believes that uh, you know she can bring changes to the lives of women of uh, differently abled children because now she has the power what she what she witnesses is a root shock she realizes that decision making in the panchayat is completely controlled by uh, by men and she's not even expected to turn up uh, to, to the panchayat all the meetings take place and you know the attendance register goes to her house she just have to put a sign on it so that is her essential role but but amira being amira she's not satisfied so she wants answers she wants to ask question but uh, she doesn't have the confidence um, you know to ask the right questions because she knows that being a woman if she opens her mouth she'll be deemed to be you know uh, dumb um yeah. so 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 what equidiversity foundation does equidiversity foundation works um, with women like uh, uh, like amira and uh, mind you um, west bengal government has uh, in india at the moment there are 21 states only who has the provision of 50% of reservation of women uh, you know at all uh, the, the three tiers of the panchayat system and but what we witnessed like i mentioned is essentially proxy leadership and so what equidiversity does is equidiversity works um, with these women and essentially works with these women uh, and sort of uh, through various trainings in gender sensitization laws the panchayat system justice what is the role and how can they identify funds and bring about changes in the policy so that is at one level but we also realize that uh, working with women is not enough we have to work with the male leadership because unless they are able to change their minds mindset and you know create a space where there is a discussion and openness and they are able to you know ready to share uh, you know leadership uh, roles then nothing will change so we also focus on working on um, the men again uh, taking them through this journey of understanding how gender has also sort of uh, uh, shaped them what are the gender trappings they are holding because one thing we also realize that when uh, while it's true that women are, are the least resourceful in this entire uh, you know process or picture uh, men uh, uh, you know elected representatives who also hail from say a uh, very vulnerable social economic group and will also sort of uh, have same kind of you know uh, lack in confidence and information so those are there 
So somewhere down the line, we try to bridge the gap and bring, uh, uh, you know, the vulnerable groups together and sort of uh, work with them so that they find their voice. So essentially, our, our direct work with the women elected representatives and men. And, uh, uh, and so that's at one level, yes. So it sounds as if there is an infrastructure in place to help out, fair infrastructure in place. But it is just this male domina dominions in every area you look at is your core challenge. And that is what you seem to be uh, all the time um, confronting. So how exactly you get backing for uh, women from all the women around you and what you take forward to these organizations or um, even government to right. put your case across? How do you make it happen? Right. So one thing um, what uh, like I've, I've realized over my years of experience is that uh, while we say that it is uh, male dominance, the other thing is people, like I said, like my earlier experience, people who are in the system, um, they are also, you know, uh, they also are disempowered in the sense that, you know, when you are dehumanized, you are also not, you, when you lack, the system is such that, uh, uh, that uh, sort of teaches you that uh, your power, you can only enjoy power when you dominate. Or if you have empathy, if you sort of, uh, you know, then, then you are weak. So I think, uh, so sometimes, you know, People who are in this system, uh, in men as well as women who are in this system, sometimes, uh, you know, they don't, they don't change, not, not simply because they don't want to change, but they don't also know how. So I think, so uh, like, like I said, one of, one of our major uh, uh, you know, strategy is capacity development or the, the other strategy is to create models, to create sort of uh, demonstrative ideas. Uh, how you know they can sort of uh, bring about a change in policy and get benefited by it. Mm -hmm. For instance, uh, for instance, if I say that, uh, um, so for instance, uh, like in this one gram panchayat, we had uh, even though the law mandated for fifty percent of reservation in this gram panchayat, there was seventy percent of women elected representatives. So that's a that was a huge thing. So, but. But interestingly, what we found that women uh, were not coming to Gram Panchayat meetings and all regularly. And on deeper sort of analysis, we found that many of them had very small children. And even though when their families are, you know, allowing them to stand for election, their key role continues to be, you know, familial responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So that remains the, still remains the key. And and un, without, you know, support. She having to you know deal with everything and and you know leaving a small child behind was a was a problem. So when we sort of took this up in one of our uh, workshops, like okay, in such a situation, uh, you know, imagine that there is a woman who is uh, who's uh, who has a six month uh, child and she is now an elected representative and the convener of the women and child development, uh, you know. And social welfare subcommittee in the Gram Panchayat, and she can't attend. What do you What do you do? So, interestingly, the first things you know, all men and also women said, you know, it was a mistake to you know to choose her. She was pregnant at the time. We should have thought it was a wrong thing to give her you know nomination because she would never be able to fulfill um, you know her responsibilities. From that sort of a response, we had to through our work, we had to go into. Uh, 
a situation where these men and women together came up with the idea of a crash within the gram panchayat and um, so that sort of happened through uh, you know policy change and through a, 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 a allotting you know budget and these women could actually they started bringing their children when they attended meetings and took part in 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 um, you know governance so i think sometimes we feel that you know purposely you don't want to uh, change but but the fact of the matter remains that we also don't have many very many examples of how policy can be made gender responsive so yes. those sort of ideas and sort of pushing also helps um, the mm. system think differently so in this kind it it sounds like that the problem is not just about challenging the systems but it is to do with really educating people and encourage people and make them understand what they can achieve and what they can expect from system that's what it sounds like and this is so so good to know because what you hear from media is totally different story so this is something so interesting for me so tell tell us more about what kind of projects you run for encouraging people even involving men more into this um situation and uh, educating even children women how do you do how do you come up with ideas and how do you make them make these things happen right um so um So when we started working with the women elected representative and the you know male leadership um we we started realizing you know that um, so there is this demand and supply chain that was working meaning we had a 50% reservation so mm-hmm. law mandates women to be in the space mm-hmm. but the, the issue was in supply like who are these women who are apparently being you know chosen by the political leadership mm-hmm. so we did a survey into and what we found was that um, around 92.6% of the women who were brought into this uh, field had no experience mm-hmm. and um, 37% felt that uh, you know they didn't have the confidence to ask any question mm-hmm. and interestingly we found that um, around almost 65% of the women elected representatives had no income of their own right. only around 4% for graduates and um, they around 77% said that you know they have faced various forms of gender based violence and control that mm-hmm. disempowers them mm-hmm. and the other interesting part of them uh, was that that around 64% said that you know they had filed nomination because some family members or a party political party leader sort of said you do that you know we'll take care of it so they had no interest in it and the other aspect that we found was that only 22% women who have been in the space for a while have been you know have got tickets or nominations more than once so that was a very interesting thing to note that even when women are in this space for some years even then you know they are they are not giving nominations so so with this understanding we realized that there was a problem with the supply chain now what do we do with that so to un- to do that we realized that the other big area that we have to work in was uh, to work with the women voters so the women in the community right so we have to work um, in a manner where you know these women become automatic choice for all political leadership you know to seek uh, when they are filed, looking at nominations and then 
hopefully we'll have a large number of these women who are aware who um, they're aware about panchayat they're aware of what governance is they're aware of how to elect and how to make uh, policy changes how to influence that so we created this so we started working with the women in the community and uh, now what has evolved in uh, many of the places where we are working these groups of uh, nari jagran committees that is women awareness committees that have evolved now what do these committees do now these in some in uh, two we have been able like in two or three gram panchayats um, so these committees have now become a part of the women and child uh, development subcommittee of the gram panchayat now this is important because if you look at the budgets in the panchayat you find that this particular committee allocates the least not even 1% of budget you know for the for functioning so mm-hmm. we felt that as an organization we have to sort of influence them to change that and the influence can only happen when women get involved not only women who is an elected representative but also women you know women voters they ask demand to put their issues forward so we started working with these narijagran committees so they would raise the policies and plans and that would figure in the panchayat um, planning and budgetary so that is how so that's at one area where we are strengthening the narijagran committees not only to bring their issues forward but also addressing like one of the top two three issues that women always talk about one is um, addressing violence gender based violence and control and the second is uh, economic um, independence so then we they are, we are focusing on these narijagran committees with our goal in future that these committees eventually evolve as community based organizations and look into development issues in the entire area with a gender lens so that's um, one area where we look at looking at mm-hmm. but we have also realized that when we are focusing on women you know it's it's going to take a long time we have to have another yes. Uh, yes. you know plan in place so sorry so what i was going to ask to you huh. that this is brilliant what you are doing is so brilliant to make women aware of their issues and then encourage them to what they should be doing however it makes me think that this kind in this kind of situation there must be still a lot of party politics um cropping up you know so what do you do is do you encourage them to stand up as independent candidates or how, on what basis they change their their because each party has manifesto and you know how do you save women from channelized into party politics and party based all these agendas right that must be a so- yeah it's a huge challenge because mm-hmm. west bengal you know is the only state in the country where uh, panchayat elections are fought directly along political party lines rest of yes. india you'll find individual standing you know there is backing of course but here it's under the political party banner so how do we change we again you know we look at two three things now generally you know if you look at how political party functions a political party uh, requires to mobilize you know women a to issue to sort of give a statement to the community that we are strong so we can mobilize so many women and if you look at uh, the changing politics or elections in the country you will find that today more and more women are coming out to vote not only are they coming out to vote but they are voting differently from men so that yes. means that women are able to look at issues differently so they they they're focusing on issues that concern them 
so with that so so when we are so our work with these women through the narayagaran committees is basically to understand what politics is people would say that politics is generally about political parties but it's not it's a, it's about it's about um, where you are it's about your policies it's about how yeah. you do that the moment the moment you start complaining about the road you are walking around you are being political so we sort of bring we sort of um, bring so in, in other words you are working with women to make their them strong and make their voice strong in turn to make change, make the parties change their agendas and their whatever the programs are which is wonderful that is such a wonderful work so this seems really really encouraging in um what i have heard about you know west bengal especially the last election and the post election violence and what i had heard in media and all of that i think what you are doing is wonderful going forward as you go along and please continue with this wonderful work but going along um, in future do you think that making young people aware of the problems make them understand the you know the gender equality and your other goals of the equidiversity would make big difference and what do you do in that um, uh, you know arena working with children and working with young people do you have any programs absolutely um absolutely so we feel that you know gen- if if you have to work around you know gender equality work around you know values of democracy work around issues of empathy you have to catch people young mm-hmm. so um so interestingly most of many of our programs were not sort of conceived from the very beginning but it sort of evolved and it evolved from the community and it evolved from experience of the women elected representatives and members of the narayagaran committees mm. so with their experience you know first came the problem the problem how uh, education was being imparted in government schools and thousands of issues of school dropouts and teachers not coming and and you know lots of issues and so we were sort of put uh, in a place where we were asked i mean what what can we do now education is uh, a subject you know where uh, the gram panchayat basically you know plays a monitoring role it doesn't have much role because it is handled by the education ministry of education so mm-hmm. with that we sort of um, we just uh, remembered that there was some uh, some time ago you know there was a there was an order talking about uh, you know that uh, every school should have a child parliament so we picked you know that yeah. one up and mm. through the concept of a child parliament what we do we work with the children you know uh, so that they're able to uh, so work with the children essentially around you know autonomy and leadership so that they're able to promote child rights gender equality child protection and also work with the young minds so that they're able to uh, you know critically think and you know problem solve and yes. so so these children they they undertake proper election to choose their pa- parliament their prime minister and the ministers wow. and they really monitor the work of these um, ministers for instance i'll just give you a small example how uh, say for instance education um, minister for education and its uh, and his or her group uh, is directly responsible to see that a child is not missing a class 
if a child is absent, the minister, the minister with its with his or her group, will rush to the house, find out what's happening, and sort of report and so uh, and provide support. So mm -hmm. there too, and there is uh, there is another process where um, you know uh, through a, there's a box called thought and feeling box where children are encouraged to uh, talk about issues they face, issues at home, issues um, in the school. And then they are they are um, encouraged to problems solve, take the matter up, take the issue up. Recently, there was a there was a meeting uh, we organized uh, an interface with the children and the gram panchayat where they raised certain issues like there's no boundary wall in around the school, mm. the pond doesn't have sort of fencing which is dangerous. They talked about broken doors in the toilet. So yeah. they started, you know, they've started raising a lot of issues that uh, concern them. Girls raising wives and their football because it's a girls' school. So, so they raise, uh, start raising such issues. So that's with children. We also yeah. work with the youth because mm -hmm. uh, uh, with boys and girls because mm -hmm. uh, in the field areas where we work, uh, we have found that uh, the average age for girls getting married um, is 16, and for boys it is. Uh, Essentially, you know, um, it is 18 or 19. So both, uh, you know, under the, uh, you know, legal age of marriage and they're, they're becoming wow. parents within one year. So what happens to, and, and interestingly, we find that, you know, a lot of boys are dropping out currently, especially with COVID and with large number of, um, you know, natural disasters hitting. Mm. A lot of boys are sort of dropping out, migrating, you know, to unsafe places for work. Or they will join a political party and there, you know, they're sort of experiencing and, uh, you know, uh, masculinity and the toxic, mm. you know, uh, you know, uh, the ideas of masculinity that will be carried on. So with this idea, we've started working with men and boys. We've started working with girls, mm. basically to provide them with a space, a safe space where they can talk about anything yeah. under the sun, their sexuality, masculinity, whatever they want to talk about and sort of trying to create a space where, again, they can uh, imbibe the skill of empathy, inclusion, gender equality, and, and then slowly start working on it through small you know, social projects in their community. Yeah, and I think, I think that is the right age um, when they need to understand the equality, gender equality, and also respect the, uh, uh, you know, other gender. It's, it's so, so important. And there cannot be a better way of teaching it um, than teaching through education, no matter what age. And not just only gender equality, just civic sense and your, their, their civic responsibilities and Absolutely. civic duties. All of that is so, so important. And actually, you know, if I talk about my childhood, when I, I was born and brought up in India and in our school, we had all these kinds of programs. 40, 50 years back. So, you know, I can tell you that that is the best way of um, learning these um, responsibilities and duties. And that's what in turn makes a good citizen. I, I'm not boasting that I'm a good citizen, but I'm just saying that is the way going forward. So um, that was just my comment. But Anindita, um, every organization has challenges. Now that you're um, you are working and involved so deeply. Every organization also has a roadmap uh, for the future. Tell us a little bit more about um, 
your roadmap for the future and your challenges in terms of financial challenge or any social issues that really, really holding you back? Just tell us. Thank you. Right. So, um, so, what, so uh, I think I mentioned um, a little bit about uh, one of our strategies. So in terms of, uh, you know, uh, holding on and sort of encouraging leadership in future, we want to start uh, Lead India Fellowship Program, you know, where we create a pool of, you know, fellows of former elected representatives and local youth, especially women, who are the future political leaders. So they uh, can work as mentors, you know, for the newly elected representatives, uh, you know, and role models for the community and sort of motivate these, uh, uh, you know, uh, leaders mentoring, mentoring them and providing a platform to express themselves. So that's at one level. Secondly, we uh, our uh, future strategies also, you know, to focus on strengthening the Narijagran committees as independent organizations. So, um, not only that, um, so we believe that, you know, um, when Equidiversity Foundation, which is essentially playing the role of a facilitator, of a, you know, nurture or mentor, so when, when we, we, there will be a point when we sort of uh, take a step backward and sort of go, you know, and, and do the work in somewhere else. And this, the Narijagran committees as independent organization, you know, uh, takes charge of promoting, uh, you know, uh, development you know looks at the development discourse from a gender lens looks at it from the lens of uh, you know equality uh, you know from sustainability environmental sustainability so they are able to sort of bring uh, intersectionalities of different issues and look at development from that point mm. so that's our goal to um, uh, develop in the narajagran committees as independent organizations and also you know um, in, in the near future, we are also thinking of developing a curriculum or a course on democracies, mm -hmm. on democracy and role of voters as guardians of democracy, mm -hmm. you know, so that, you know, like, like, uh, so, so when a rural woman or a, a young girl before the, uh, before elections, uh, understand what election is on, uh, is all about, understand how to evaluate um, a leader, uh, evaluate the work of a leader, understand the election manifestos and takes a decision, you know, based on, uh, you know, uh, not only on how uh, I have benefited from this, the last government, but mm -hmm. also looks at the bigger issue. So that's also something we are looking at. And lastly, but not least, I think our focus in future would also be uh, more on, you know, understanding gender inclusiveness uh, within the political parties. You had asked me this question before. Mm -hmm. How can we influence um, local political parties, you know, to sort of reflect back on their gender policies, if at all they have it? Most of them have it on paper. But mm -hmm. how do we sort of motivate them to look, uh, look into the fact that, you know, if they're able to mentor more women and mm -hmm. nurture them, Instead of that 22% getting, you know, a second uh, time nomination, if you bring more women into the fore, how it can strengthen the party, how it can strengthen you as somebody who believes in this. So I think these are some of the ways in which we want to work in the future. Right. Challenges are like uh, many. Uh, mm -hmm. To highlight I'm just sure. a few, uh, yeah, so highlight just a few, 
I think one of the biggest uh, challenge um, is, you know, uh, you have these women who are, you know, at the end of their term, you know, start talking, speaking their mind, asking questions, giving suggestions, are active on the ground. So suddenly you find that uh, they fail to get nominations in the next election. And, and uh, without this critical mass of active women leaders in the locality, so this mm-hmm. trend of, you know, uh, getting ignored will continue. So uh, the other biggest challenge that we have uh, and actually always had since we began, because we, the way sort of uh, Equidial City was formed was formed out of the blue without much planning and thought. Um, so we've always had this issue of lack of funds. So in spite of the fact that we have, you know, a very tested uh, capacity development design, but with not being able to sort of implement it. So most of them, you know, are designed uh, as residential workshops. And so we had to sort of change them to make it like a half day or a one day program. So funds has been an issue for us. Um, The other challenge that we face is because we work with systems, oftentimes systems have, uh, you know, people, uh, systems are run by people. So when you have, uh, you know, the right kind of people, you know, with, with an attitude where they want to experiment, they want to change, then, you know, you're able to achieve a lot in a, in a particular period of time. But if not, then you take two steps, uh, you know, forward and have to go, you know, three steps back and start all over again. So that's also a challenge. It is a sort of, it is a cyclic thing, but you have to be at it. So, yeah, these are our top three, I would say. Right. So in, it sounds like you probably need um, lots of volunteers to support all these activities. And also you must have some paid staff as well. Do you? Yes. Um, so what we do is very uh, sort of specific and requires a lot of skill. So mm-hmm. how um, the way the organization works, so the, one of our uniqueness as an organization is the fact that, you know, uh, the entire team is a homegrown team. Meaning all, uh, whether it is staff or whether local volunteers, all of them are are local people. So we believe in developing human, you know, capital. So yes, we have a group of uh, six to seven paid staff. Mm-hmm. The rest are essentially volunteers mm-hmm. and who get, you know, a, a, you know, some honorarium for travel and for refreshment. Yes. And so these these volunteers are they also emerge from the Nari Jagran committee. So the Nari Jagran committees, uh, they have developed, you know, they have sub teams within themselves. So for instance, they have a livelihood team, awareness team, a case a case management team. Uh, so they so these teams. So our job is to develop them, uh, these teams, and also sort of uh, include them, engage them in the work that is going on. So that's basically our uh, model of functioning. And in terms of these overheads you mentioned and the cost of staffs you mentioned, do you have any other um, expenses or, you know, material costs or anything else? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So most of our, uh, most of our, uh, uh, if you look at basic nature of our work, so we work, uh, the strategy is based on, Two, three pillars. One pillar is capacity development. The second pillar is, you know, awareness. Uh, the third pillar would be networking. So essentially, uh, an advocacy. So fourth, that's the fourth pillar. 
So for capacity development, because our capacity development programs are extremely intense and uh, uh, we, we do a lot of them throughout the year. So most of the cost um, entails, you know, is, you know, running those uh, workshops. And I, as I mentioned, those work best essentially for women. If you take them out of that environment and take them away and, uh, you know, so that they feel relaxed and they tend to sort of open up more. So, mm. so we do a lot of residential. We plan to do a lot of residential ones. Um, the other area, so so a lot of our uh, funding is programmatic. So our administrative cost is much lower uh, than uh, the uh, programmatic cost. Mm. Yes. Well, I can. I I absolutely agree with you, and Esther will agree with that too. And our challenges with AVI very similar <laughs> when dealing with funds. Anyway, but let me tell you that, um, that um, so far, Work for Women has, even before the event took, takes place, we have raised £1,579 as I speak, and we have targeted for £6,000. I'm not at this point certain what will be AVI's um, aim to help you out with. But let us hope that our um, workers today uh, donate generously towards all these programs. And good luck to you, Anindita, and keep up with good work. Thank you. Excellent. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to you, Anandita, and to you, Pallavi, as well. Um, like Pallavi said, um, you know, this is a hugely important uh, cause. It's uh, impressive work that Anandita is uh working on together with her her team and the women from their communities that they support um so i hope that you've all enjoyed this um this podcast and that you will all um support uh, uh equidiversity's work you can do so on um on our website which is www.actionvillageindia.org.uk slash support us or you can do so on the Just Giving page, uh, the Walk for Women Just Giving page, which you, which will be accompanied uh, in the information about the Walk for Women. Um, Anandita, thank you so very much um, for sharing your your story and the work uh, that you are doing and the challenges that you are facing. Um, I know for one that I'm very much looking forward to uh, to collaborating more and more with you um, and. Uh, this is actually the first time we're going to support this project. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to see um, how it's going to go. Thank you so much, Esther. Uh, you know, I'm very, very grateful to AVI, uh, you and to Pallavi and to all uh, the walkers. Uh, these are difficult times. And even in these difficult times, uh, you know, uh, you, you are going to take uh, that time and, uh, you know, uh, to support the work that we are doing. Um, you know, uh, our heartiest uh, thanks to all of you. Excellent. Thank you. And for all the walkers, we hope that you have a fantastic day today. Um, I hope you're lucky and have some sunshine. I hope you've managed to prepare some of the delicious recipes that Palavi has prepared for you. Um, and uh, we wish you all the very best and we will be in touch soon. Thank you.